turn to the last chapter of 2 Corinthians, that is 13. This summer we've been looking at different words out of 2 Corinthians. Some of them have been very encouraging, others have been very difficult, as we've had to chew on the realities of what this life we're called to is, how we are to live it out and to demonstrate it and the things which we can expect to come into our lives because Christ has saved us. He has changed our hearts, made us from enemies into his children. If you're able, let's stand together as I read from 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come upon us, that our eyes and hearts would be open, melted to you, our defenses would be put aside, that we would hear you and your voice, know how it is we are to walk because of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is 2 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Short and to the point. Now how do you sign off on your letters? Okay, think of that. If you can remember the last time you actually wrote a letter and not an email. Okay, or a text. Um, how, let me think. Uh, traditionally, uh, it's, it's how we sign off on letters has changed over the years. It uh, used to be very, very truly yours, very sincerely. I remained your humble servant. Uh, then it has gone to simply sincerely or uh, with love or love. Or maybe if it's to a... Um, Another believer you might write in Christ or something like that. Or sometimes now you just put your name and you don't... What is that, a salutation? Is that the, the last thing? Uh, what? Salutation is at the front. What's at the end? Uh, adios. The adios. Okay, that's... <laughs> I'm so glad somebody knows the, the, the finer points, the finer technicalities of these things. Um, uh, let's let's turn. Okay, re- keep this in mind. If you've got your Bible open, turn over to Romans 16. Okay, and we're going to look at another way that Paul says goodbye. Now, these are two very distinct um, adioses <laughs> uh, that Paul uses. Mm-hmm. And one, I think, to the church at Corinth, this was a group that he knew very well. Okay. He had, in a sense, lived and died with these people. He had poured it out to them, both in his presence and in his letters. He had praised them. He had admonished them. He had told them what was right and what was wrong. He said, get your stuff together when they were out of order. He said, nice job when they had it together. Now, the church at Rome, which is a, a different type of letter, much more doctrinal uh, and, 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 and not as, as, as hands-on as... as the letters to the church at Corinth, he had not been to Rome, and he, he doesn't know many people in Rome. He knows everybody at Corinth, 
Okay, he knows everybody at Corinth pretty much. In Rome, chapter, Romans chapter 16, this is how he writes his uh, final words. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, that you help her in whatever manner uh, she may have need of you, for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Eponitus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet uh, Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, who my, my beloved in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, uh, Stichius, my beloved, pardon me, greet Apellus, the approved in Christ, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus, uh, this is what we need. Uh, now, for those of you um, who, who never came to praise and prayer on Tuesday nights, we, we would read through a chapter of the Bible and when Jeff Smith was around, we would always have him read the ones that had all the names because he would never stop. You know, he would just read right through them. And he didn't care whether they got them right. They were in the neighborhood, and frankly, most of us didn't know if he pronounced them correctly. He just would zoom right through them. So, greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who is the Lord. Greet uh, Trifiana. Greet uh, Trifosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Perseus, on and on and on and on and on. You get the idea. Greet all these people, because these are the people that he knows. The rest of the church in Rome, he doesn't really know. He doesn't say greet anybody in Corinth, because he knows everybody. You know, and that's like um, sending a greeting, and you're concerned about leaving somebody out. So you just say, hey, everybody. You know, you send a postcard to everybody at Central. Okay. You're in the Bahamas, and you're having a great time, and you want to tell them about uh, the, the wonderful trip. So you just send my, my friends at Central. You don't list everybody, because sooner or later you wouldn't. You'd forget somebody, and then you'd come back and go, well, you wrote to everybody but me, you know, or something like that. Okay. Paul just says, everybody, I greet you. And then he gives them a list of things to do. Okay, And we're going to get to that list in just a moment, one of the most important items that, that encompasses everything that Paul writes to this church at Corinth is the demonstration of love. Okay, we're going to have a little trivia here. Um, three little words. Three little words, I love you. Come on, help on some of you to remember this. Fred Astaire movie. Okay, that was the first thing that I thought of. So I looked it up. You know that there are more than half a dozen versions or songs entitled Three Little Words. They go from Nat King Cole, Frank Sinatra, Engelbert Humperdinck, New Flavo. That was your favorite, favorite group, wasn't it? New Flavo. Billy Ray Cyrus has one. It has a little uh, country twang to it. Uh, Merle Haggard has one. I mean, it's all three little words, I love you. Okay. Three little words just to describe how I feel. Now, I can remember sitting in a, uh, a wedding service, and I'm out in the congregation, and later I used it in, in a service that, that I did. 
and the, uh, the pastor is talking to the couple, and suddenly he turns to the groom, and this, uh, you know, young man who's uh, pretty nervous, he says, you love your, your, your wife-to-be? And he says, yes, sir. He says, how much do you love her? Do you love her with all your heart? He says, yes, sir. Will you do anything for her? Yes, sir, I will. Will you die for her? Yes, sir, I will. Will you take the garbage out for her? And there was silence. <laughs> will you wash the dishes with her? And you could tell he was trying to process what was going on, and it, it wasn't getting in. Will you talk to her on a daily basis? And he finally said, everything. <laughs> like, everything. See, love is demonstrated in, in a daily event. In how we live out. It's not just demonstrating one thing. It is demonstrating how we live and how we walk. And, and, you know, to let the words, we love you, roll off our tongue, we have to be very careful. Because, like last week, we learned the proof is in the pudding. Okay? The proof of whether the food is good is when you eat it. The proof of whether you actually love someone is when you demonstrate to that each and every day. Okay. So those are some of the underlying issues that Paul has been dealing with, what he is facing. There has been a great struggle here at Corinth, and some of the issues have been surrounding the Lord's Supper. Let's go back to uh, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 11 and just touch on that briefly, because we will be going to the Lord's table today to celebrate this. There were things going on here at Corinth uh, surrounding the, the participation of people in the Lord's Supper and, and their expectations of what would happen here. And Paul has to settle those issues. First uh, Corinthians eleven seventeen said, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you, do not, you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? You can see Paul go, what? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. And we talked about this briefly in Sunday school. It would be as if this portion of the church was well off, okay? And they had a big meal, and they brought it. And it's about an hour before we're to have the Lord's Supper, and they're all over here eating and feasting and drinking, and half of them are, are uh, you know, are, are half in the bag now, and the rest of us show up, and we don't quite have as much resources, and we were kind of hoping that they were going to share their food, and we get here, and they're all having a party, and we have nothing uh, to, to celebrate uh, and to, to share together. And then the elder or the preacher comes up and he begins the service to have the Lord's Supper. Okay, And we are now expected to be unified as the body of Christ. This crowd thinks everything is great and this crowd is thinking uh, there's something wrong here. Okay, And that was one of the problems going on at the church at Corinth. They were partying and not focused upon the purpose of the Lord's Supper, what the unity that was supposed to be, that, that, that was, it was used to, to draw the church together. Okay, so Paul says, eat before you get here. If you're not going to come and share it and, and, and enjoy the fellowship, then eat before you get here so that when you come, your hearts can be right. So we can demonstrate the unity 
of the body of Christ. Okay, back to 2 Corinthians 13. Let's look at this. Paul has been pouring out his life to this group at Corinth, both while he was present and in his letters. And he tells them in this correspondence several things. In his, in his uh, ending remarks, he has several things that are commands to them. Not just suggestions, but commands to them. And we're going to start at the end. We're going to start at verse 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I think I, I told you this once, but it's worth repeating. I worked in a high school in Indiana as a volunteer in Youth for Christ. The, church, the school was called Madison Grant. Uh, James Dean had gone to that high school at one point. The guy who drew Garfield uh, had gone to that. And it's an FCA auction, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They're raising money. They've got all these jerseys from professional football players and who had been signed and and you know all the kids are in the bleachers and they're auctioning these things off and uh, there's a break and all the cheerleaders come down in front and uh, the the guy who's running gets up and says okay now uh, we're going to auction off a kiss and you get to choose any of these cheerleaders to get your kiss from and, and you can see you know everybody's up in the the bleachers I think there's a group of 13-year-old boys, and they're all pulling their money and, and things like that. So the, the auction starts, and I'm standing in the doorway next to the principal, and it, it's, it's up to $60 for this kiss. And finally, it's just sold, and you could see this little kid. <laughs> he stands up and goes, yeah! <laughs> He's so excited. And he runs down the bleachers, and he, he kind of walks up and down the line of the cheerleaders. You know, and the, you can see the cheerleaders aren't all that excited now. And they're, they're kind of going like this. And he, he finally stops and he, he points to one. And all the rest go kind of relieved. And uh, the, the person in charge says, okay, you, this is your chance. You may have your kiss from the cheerleader. And so he, he starts kind of like any uh, 14-year-old boy would do, kind of, uh, he's not sure what to do. And all of a sudden he just grabs her and bends her over, lays this big kiss on her. And, and I'm standing next to the principal, and the principal goes, I don't kiss my wife that way. Like, <laughs> I, I wasn't married. I said, well, maybe you should. I, I don't know. Okay. Well, here, here you have, Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. So, but don't worry. When you come out of the service, I'm not going to grab you, okay, and bend you over and kiss you. Unless your name is Mrs. Jenkins, okay? Uh, so what does this mean? We are to kiss one another, but it's not quite that type of kiss, nor is it the kind of kiss that you see maybe on TV or the, the, the starlets who don't want to get their makeup. You know, they get real close and they go, you know, like that, and they don't want to mess up their makeup. That's not what we're talking about here either. Kissing was, was much more common in, in different eras in society. And kissing, if you've ever been to places perhaps in Western Europe, you might see men who would kiss each other on the mouth as a greeting. Uh, women is much more common. Um, throughout society, they've had times where they kiss the hand or, or kiss here or the eyes or the forehead, all these places. What, what Paul is talking about here is not a kiss that has anything romantic linked to it. It is a kiss as a demonstration of affection in Christ. Okay? That's what he is saying. 
Now, uh, there's probably a couple people who are thinking, oh, man, this was my chance to kiss, kiss that person I've been waiting to kiss, and now I, I can't have any affection in it. You know, well, Paul says, greet one another with a particular kind of kiss. It's a holy kiss. It's a brother and sister in Christ, and that kiss has a lot of things behind it. It's not just a how-you-doing kiss. It is a one. You're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. That's one function of it. Another function would be if somebody had been um, perhaps in sin, uh, that they had gotten off the path and were now being restored. Often that restoration would take place when they gathered together to have the Lord's Supper. Everybody would come and kiss them. Everybody would come and greet them and hug them and demonstrate that Christian love to a brother or sister who had erred and then been restored. Okay, um, if um, a new convert, uh, everybody would come and greet them in that fashion because they wanted to demonstrate the love of Christ to them. Now, growing up in a standard northern Presbyterian church, um, I didn't see much of this. Uh, I, I didn't see much hugging going on. Uh, there were some handshakes. Um, kind of, kind of dead fishy handshakes. There was a lot of of honestness behind it. Praise God, glad you're here. Okay, and then I moved south, and I I still remember the my first Sunday, and people came up and hugged me. It was, it was you know, so foreign, <laughs> so foreign. But but now, as a demonstration of the love that we have for one another in Christ. There's a freedom there to demonstrate that, to show that. You know, I, I, just, I just love you because I know what the Lord has done in your life. I know how he has demonstrated his grace and how you have lived that out. And I, there is just a love between us that the world does not understand, nor can they comprehend. They just don't know that type of love. They don't know it. Paul says, make a visible demonstrable sign of your unity in Christ, of your love for one another, whether it is in restoration of a, of a fellow believer who has sinned and repented and come back, whether it is in the joy of a new convert to Christ, whether it is in the continuing relationship that you have with all of those who are in the body of Christ, make that demonstrable sign. You know what Jesus did? He comes upon the lepers, you remember? Mark chapter 1. He sees the lepers. What was the no-no in New Testament society? No touching the lepers. Because as soon as you touched the leper, you were assumed to have leprosy yourself. Jesus, who has all the power, all the authority, all he has to say to them is, be clean and they would be healed. But what does he do? He goes and he touches them. Why? Because there's something in the touch. There is something in knowing that someone cares enough to come and extend themselves to you and to reach out to you and to touch you. This probably eight years ago. I got a call one day. A guy says, I'm in town. I'm stuck. I'm out of money. I'm on my way to California. I don't know who else to call. You're the first one in the phone book, first Presbyterian church in the phone book. Okay. Can you come over and see me? I said, all right, where are you? He said, I'm at the La Quinta Hotel over on university. So I go over there, tells me what, do, what room. I knock on the door. He opens the door. He's probably 6'4", 
110 pounds. He's got purple splotches all over him. Okay. I, I knew he had AIDS. I knew he was dying immediately. I could see that. He says, come on in. So I go in. And he tells me the story that he'd gone back home to, to tell his family, you know, what was happening to them. They had rejected him. Um, he had gotten on a bus, had gotten this far. He just was out of money. He didn't know who else to turn to. So he calls the church, interesting enough. He had that much background, but he calls the church. So we sit there for some time, and he tells me this, and, and, and we talk about forgiveness, and we talk about pursuing things that are right, and, and what all this means in his life. I mean, he knows he's, he's dying. So at the end, you know, I, I give enough money to get him back to California to, to eat on the bus on the way back, and we stand, and we're standing at the door, and he looks at me, and he says, could you hug me? He says, I haven't had another person touch me in so long. And, and you know, there was this fleeting thought that you've got to be kidding me. But then I thought, you know what? This is what the guy needs, a demonstration of the love of Christ. I have sat here in front of him, and I've told him about Jesus Christ. I have told him about his love. Let me demonstrate it. So we did. Now, I don't know whether I'll see that guy in heaven or not. But, you know, sometimes the Lord calls us to demonstrate love in a very tangible way. And that's what Paul is saying because there has been conflict. There has been alienation at the church at Corinth. There have been people who followed the false teachers and then have seen their error and come back. And those who did not follow them, they might feel a little superior. Uh, they might feel a little smug. that we, we didn't go off the track. You went off track. But whatever it was, you must demonstrate that love to one another. And that's what Paul says. So when he says, greet one another with a kiss, he's not talking about the teenager who won the auction, got the kiss of the cheerleader. He is talking about the love of Christ that binds us together in a way that the world does not understand. It's a love that we must demonstrate to one another. Other list of commands that he does here, we go back to the verse 11 and start from the beginning. Brethren, rejoice. This is not an option. Not an option. This is a command. Rejoice. Be filled with joy. Okay? Proverbs chapter 17. A joyful heart is good medicine. Studies have shown that the more you laugh, the more you're joyful, the more certain chemicals are released in your body, the better you feel. Okay? It is good medicine to be joyful. Christians have the cause and the reason to be joyful. Remember, happiness is not joy. Happiness is the new puppy. Happiness is based upon your immediate circumstances. Joy is that underlying thing in your life that comes from Christ that no one can take away. That is why we're joyful, because of the work that Christ has done in our lives. The next command, be made complete. Now, Paul has prayed this in other places, but generally it is a call to maturity. Grow in your knowledge of Christ. Continue to demonstrate those things in your life. The word is also used to restore people. So that's why when they came before the Lord at the Lord's Supper, that's where restoration would take place. That's where this demonstration of love would take place. This word is used for mm, mending fishing nets, uh, building people up, supplying armies with all that they need to go out into the battle. That's what this word means. Be made complete. Be restored in Christ. Don't be divided spiritually. Be unified because of the work of Christ. The next word, be comforted. Another command. 
Word is uh, a word that we know, parakaleo. We get the word paraclete from it, meaning comforter. Jesus Christ was the first comforter, the one that he said, I must go and send you another, which was the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes and he comforts us. And that's what Paul says we are to do for one another. Comfort one another. Care for one another. Respond to the challenges that are in the world. And in the midst of those things, care for one another. The fourth command, be like-minded. Literally, think the same thing. This does not mean be the same, but it means to have the same priorities. It means to go about the most important things in life in the same fashion, with the same focus upon Christ, not absolute uniformity. When we come to Christ, we are not suddenly all little robots that do the same thing, talk the same thing, think the same thing. We have the same basis, which is Jesus Christ. We have the same doctrine, which moves us and causes us to act. We may act in ways that are different, but we come from the same place. The the motto of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, in essentials, unity. Non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. We are unified around what is essential. What is non-essential, we have liberty on. Okay? Now... That doesn't mean we will all want the same styles, whether it's music or food or clothes or anything like that. But it means we come from the same place, and that is a life changed by Jesus Christ. So this is what all this comes down to. Kiss one another as a visible sign of the things of Christ. Rejoice in what Christ has done in your life. Forgive one another. Care for one another. Be unified around the things that really matter. Paul says, if you do that, he says, you will be a fantastic church. You will be a fantastic church. Now, as I said, go out the door. You don't have to kiss me going out the door. But if, but if there is someone here that you feel estranged from, that you look around and say, you know what? I don't know what's going on in their life, but they look like they need encouragement. Or if you feel particularly close to someone, then when the service is over, go and greet them. If you're not ready to kiss them, then hug them, okay? But demonstrate the things of Christ. Demonstrate that love to them that Christ has put in your heart. He has changed you. You were an enemy, and now you're his son or you're his daughter. You were estranged from him. You were bound by the chains of sin. He has freed you. He has given you new life, a new heart. Now demonstrate it. Demonstrate that love that he has placed in your heart. Let's pray. Lord, what what fabulous things you have bestowed upon us. You've freed us from the chains of sin. You have changed our lives. You have given us new hearts, hearts that now can seek the things which are above, the things of the Spirit, minds that can focus on those things which are right and just and beautiful, a heart that can know a peace that passes all understanding. Before we were in Christ, we could not know these things. We might have known them in a temporary basis. 
We might have appreciated beauty and loved those things, but our eyes were still hazed over by sin. You have made the way in which we might be forgiving. You have made the way in which we might demonstrate love. A love that is so far beyond the love of the world. It comes down to our wills. Will we do this? Do I have the desire? Do I have the, the willpower to put aside my selfishness and walk in the power of the, the Holy Spirit and do the things that he calls me to do? Lord, there is such joy and such freedom in pursuing you when we are no longer bound by the mores of non-believing society, when we're no longer bound by those things which we can demonstrate the wonderful grace you've placed in our hearts. You have sent your Son, and he has given his life for us, that we may walk in this newness. He's given his body, he has shed his blood, He has made this great sacrifice for us because it took the death of the Son of God, the shedding of the blood of the perfect spotless Lamb to wash the sin from our life. Lord, might we never hesitate to proclaim this truth and demonstrate it in word and deed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In preparation of our Lord's Supper, let's stand and sing the first two verses of 425. Cleanse me. 425, the first two verses.